Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. I, uh, I have a promise for you today. I am, have nothing to say about politics. Is that okay? Have you felt like, have you felt like you've heard enough about that? But we do have the popcorn container because I do have hot takes. I tell you what, I got some stuff to talk about today. Uh, before we get into that, Friday night uh, for the burning room was simply amazing. Uh, it, was, it was so, so good. Uh, the presence of Jesus was here in such a tangible way. Uh, we had four different, four speakers, five people total spoke, and it was uh, so good. Um, <clears throat> all right, we're starting a new series today, uh, and I'm calling it, watch this, The Gospels. Four books about Jesus. Very creative, right? Like, we're just, come up with a new message series, we're going to call it the B-I-B-L-E, right? We're going to talk about Jesus from the Bible. Here, I got a question for you, though. Um, Everybody, I'm guessing, is on Instagram, or mostly everybody's on Instagram. Um, and, you know, not everything you see on Instagram is true, right? Like, not every picture you see is really... Have you seen these accounts, uh, Instagram reality? Have you, have you seen this, where they show the picture that was shown on Instagram, and they show, like, the pre-photoshopped photo? Have you seen these, where people have these really weird shapes and yet all the trees are bending next to them because they used a, a Photoshop filter or, or like they've, uh, done their, they've done so much face tuning uh, that they don't have a nose anymore. And then they show the real person who looks like me and then afterwards they look like you know, my wife, just like someone attractive, you know what I mean? Like, like what, what, what they're putting out there is not necessarily reality. And um, if you don't know better, um, you'll think that what everybody is telling you is really the truth. And um, if you're not connected to the person posting it, you don't really know what they look like. That's like a lot of friends of mine who are in ministry, and, and their profile picture is still from 15, 20 years ago, right? And I'm like, bro, you ain't had that color hair in a long time. A lo it's been a long time since you looked anything. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anything like that. We have to recognize that... In Christianity, often, um, we know more about what people say about the Bible often than we actually know about the Bible. We know what people say about what Jesus ta taught more than what we actually know what Jesus taught. And in fact, many people go to church and they know more about Christianity than they actually know Christ. And at Revival Life Church, like, that's not cool. Like, that's not who we are. It's not who we want to be, and uh, it, it's, not, um, it's not the paradigm we're trying to set up. And as we read the New Testament, it's super important that we understand what we're reading. A lot of people read the New Testament like they're reading a novel uh, from front to back, like it's one very easily understood story. If you've read nothing but it, you can understand it, but that's really not correct. As a matter of fact, a lot of the New Testament makes references to things that are going on right at that time, talking to people who understand what they're talking about. Let me give you an example. Um, let's say 20 years from now, 50 years from now, maybe 150 years from now, people are going to read something about 2020 and wonder 
like did a Martian land on America during that time? Like what was going on in the world? And people are not really going to get it. We've heard about the 1918 uh, plague, uh, the flu season, the Spanish flu, and we never really got what it was like. And so many people died, yet that generation, they get it. Let me say this. If I were to use the phrase, make America great again, it means something to you. Might be good, might be bad. But it means something to you instantly without me having to explain it. Now, in 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, someone's going to read that phrase and not understand how charged it is. They're just going to think maybe they'll read a, 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 an email from someone or see a newscast and say, hey, what's, what's, what's so great? What, what's so wrong with making America great again? I mean, don't, maybe, maybe there was a plague and they're talking about making America great or maybe it was the economy and they're talking about And, and, and they'll miss the entire context. Other people, uh, you know, hear that phrase and maybe it gives you really positive regard. Maybe, maybe in your heart you hear that and you say, finally, we're going to get some equity in this country. We're going to make it great again like it was supposed to be. Other people hear it and say, when, when exactly was it great? Was it when my people were enslaved? Was it when we were bringing them over from Africa? When, when exactly? When is, so depending on your point of view is how you view that phrase. And if you don't understand everything behind that phrase, you're not going to understand a letter written using that phrase. Does that make sense? The New Testament is filled with that. Let me give you another example. If I were to use the phrase, black lives matter, depending on who your friends are and who you're with, it's going to mean completely different things. Maybe to one person they say, hey, I read all about that on the internet, and I know the people who founded that organization uh, were Marxist, and they want to kill white people or whatever, but maybe you know somebody who's been affected by violence. And maybe they know somebody who's been shot by a law enforcement officer and nothing happened. There was no investigation. And they say, hey, black lives should matter, right? There's the organization. There's the, there's the, the, the people who are saying it as a movement as opposed to the organization. Depending on where you're coming from, it can mean very different things. And so you have to know who the person is saying it and what's behind it and who they're saying it to to understand what it means. Does that make sense? I got to tell you, the Bible is not less complicated than today. It's actually more complicated. And that much more, we need to understand what they're talking about and who they're talking to to understand the Word of God. It's not just a novel that anybody can pick up and read in 20 minutes and think they understand the full counsel of God. And so as a church, for the next five weeks, we're just going to scrape the surface of the four Gospels to talk a little bit about what they're talking about, where they're coming from, uh, give you a little context. Today, we're going to talk about the four Gospels as a whole. <clears throat> I have one more hot take well, since I have a couple minutes. Um, we're, we're a Pentecostal church, amen? We believe in the Spirit. Lillian was singing in the Spirit earlier. If you'd never heard that before, you'd be like, am, did, am I missing something? Is she somehow Russian? What was she saying? And she was speaking in a heavenly language uh, that God gives people to communicate with God. Now, there's a prophetic language uh, that the Bible talks about also where there's a message in tongues and there's an interpretation. And the Bible says, don't do that all service unless somebody has an interpretation. That's not what was happening. She was worshiping God, which you would hope a worship leader does. Amen. You would hope that they're actual worship worshipers. 
And as spirit-filled believers, it's that much more important that we live in truth. Because we can just make stuff up and put it on God. There's been a lot of that in the last couple of years. There's been a lot of people making stuff up, calling it prophetic, when it wasn't actually God. There's been a whole bunch of it. And uh, I've been calling them out. And uh, I plan on just going in deep in the next uh, several weeks uh, online. Uh, and, uh, um, and, and here's, here's, here's kind of what the Reformation is starting to look like. These people who've been getting it wrong say that they need to go get it right now. No, when you get it that wrong, you need somebody else to come and help you. You, 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 you don't just say, like, I have been evil, I'm going to go ahead and make myself good again. No, that's not actually how it works. When you misrepresent who God actually is, you need to sit under somebody for a while to relearn God. So if you've been disappointed in the prophetic ministry, man, we're going we're gonna to establish some truth here in your hearts in the next month or so. Is that all right? Amen. Yeah, amen. That's what we're doing. Now, we, um, we read the Bible too much uh, to try to figure out what God is saying, right? To get knowledge, to get information. We really need to read the Bible to be formed, right? The main reason we read the Bible is to be formed. We want the Word of God to form us. And we need to return to the Bible so we can be formed in its image. And if you're a note taker, get your pen ready because i got a lot to share today. We're going to kind of fly through it. If you're not a note taker, I hope you have photographic memory because i got a lot going on today. You see, the Bible is the actual Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God that's inspired by God as a whole. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. But this Bible that is forming us as we read it, we can start to chop it up and cut it into pieces it was never intended to be cut into. You can't know me by studying my finger. You can't know me by studying my toe. You can't know me by studying my liver, right? you got to actually know me, and then the pieces start to make sense. We need to read the Bible the same way. See, nothing stands alone in the Bible. No little piece stands alone. We can't just know the sentences and think we understand the Bible. We have to study it all because the sum of the individual pieces are greater than the parts. The Bible is greater than any little part in it because, again, it's written to different people for different times. And here's three things. You probably know this, but I'm going to say it out loud because it doesn't seem to be a standard anymore. Every sentence in the Bible is part of a paragraph. Every paragraph is part of a book. Every book is part of the whole of Scripture. No sentence means more than the paragraph it's in. No paragraph means more than the book it's in. No book means more than the Bible that it's in. You, you get that. And so we can't just pull out a phrase and say, I like what that phrase says. I'm just going to make it my mantra and think that God is going to honor it or be disappointed when God doesn't do it. And, 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 and because we don't understand what he was actually saying, right? There's this, uh, <clears throat> I hate to use this example, but there's this old Simpsons episode where, where Homer asks his boss for Friday off. And his boss says, if you don't come to work Friday, don't come Monday. And Homer says, woohoo, four-day weekend. 
Do you understand how that's a wrong conclusion from what he said? Well, that is called prophecy these days for some reason, right? They get the wrong conclusion from what he said, and since it's a hot take by them, they think it's prophecy, and it's not actual prophecy. It's called a misinterpretation of Scripture, and people are building ministries on it, and it doesn't make any sense. So when we read the Bible, we want to start wide and then get narrow. Start with the big picture and then try to understand the small picture, right? This is what we want to do. Now, when we talk about the Gospels, this gets a little complicated. And just to kind of give a very quick overview, there was these stories that went around. And, and, and this can get complicated. Those stories that are called Q, that was, that was uh, given by the original kind of oral tradition. And if you get Q, much of Mark came from Q. And there's some Matthew that contains Q, but doesn't contain all of Mark. And then Mark... And part of Q equals Luke, but not all of Luke is in Matthew. And then you get John, which doesn't really have Q, but it has L and M. It gets a little complicated when you look at the history of it, but you can actually chart where the scripture comes from. Does that make sense? That's all that really matters. We know where they come from. There's the oral tradition and there's all that. And as the people back in the day started deciphering the Bible, uh, if you look in history, the four Gospels... Um, if you look at church art, for example, if you look at stained glass windows, stained glass windows were simply the colored lights of the day. They colored the light that came in to the sanctuary. They didn't have these lights like we have. They only had different colored glass. And as the glass came in, it illuminated and people weren't literate. So they told the stories of the Bible in pictures. And so if you go into any uh, older church or a mainline church, you're going to see all these pictures around. And we're like, oh, look at all this idolatry. Oh, that's because your church started in the last four years, right? Now, if there's a church that's maybe, I don't know, 1,800 years old, they needed some pictures to tell the story of the Bible. And so as you go in, you'll see pictures of the Gospels, and you'll see pictures of Noah. And this is how they taught the tradition of God to people who weren't literate, and since they didn't have copies of the Bible, this is what they did. Now, throughout history, each of the four gospel writers, gospel means good news, and there's four of them at the beginning of the New Testament, and in the New Testament, they have a Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, that's not the order they were written in, but that's how we have them in the New Testament, and historically, each of these gospel writers has an animal assigned to them, which sounds weird, but it lines up with the Bible. In Revelation chapter 4, Verse 7, it's also in Ezekiel, there's a scripture, it says, in the first living creature, you remember the story, and, and again, it was in Ezekiel where there's this animal before the throne with four faces, right? And you're like, how does an animal have four faces? And he says it like this, and the first living creature resembled a lion, the second creature resembled a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature resembled a flying Eagle. Now, that calf is translated different ways, and in Ezekiel, it's a little more clear. He calls it an ox, right? And so they had these four-faced creatures, and that didn't really make a whole lot of sense to most people, but I want you to think about it this way. <clears throat> when a crime happens, the police interview everybody at the scene. They don't just interview one person. They interview everybody to get everybody's version of events. And everybody tells the story a little differently about what they saw happen based on their life story, based on their experience, based on their day, 
based on who they're telling the story to. Now, the four gospel writers are four different people talking to four different groups, telling the story of Jesus, what the group needs to hear in the time it was written. There are four pictures of Jesus in the New Testament written by four people, but it's the same man from four vantage points. Does, does that make sense? This is why we have four Gospels, not one, because we didn't have a God who sent us a manual. He communicated who he is to people, through people, according to what they needed to hear about the truth of the unchanging God, Jesus Christ. Does, does that make sense? And so we have to understand who these people are and who they were talking to to understand why they wrote what they wrote about God. All right. And so <clears throat> we're going to dig into that really quickly. And, and again, <clears throat> we see there's four animals assigned to the four Gospels. And the first one we're going to talk about is Mark. Now, Mark was the first Gospel written. And Mark is historically portrayed as the lion. And you can see here, here's a, here's a painting. This one's a little newer of the four Gospels. And, and you can see uh, Mark there, the first one, uh, with the lion behind him. And now, <clears throat> Mark, uh, if you read the New Testament, there's three Marks, right? You know that. There's, 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 there's Mark the Evangelist, there's John Mark, and there's Mark the cousin of Barnabas. Now, based on who is kind of interpreting it, this can either be three people, most people believe it's two, but a good portion believe it's one. And some people believe it's one. I mean, there's three, two, one. Most people believe it's two. Many believe it's three. Some believe it's one. There you go, right? And so we got these different marks happening, doing different stuff. And we know there's at least two of them because they led two different churches in their day when the gospel was written. And so we got Mark who was born actually in Libya. Uh, he, he was an African and he, he started the church in Egypt. Now, Mark was writing his gospel to Romans. He was writing it to Romans, people of the Roman Empire, and he was a disciple of Peter. And so they believe that much of what Mark wrote uh, came from what they say is Q, and Q is the oral traditions that Peter taught. So Peter was going around teaching about Jesus, telling stories for many years, and people began to collect these stories about Jesus that was taught by Peter. Mark wrote much of them down. He, the early church were divided on whether Mark the evangelist was a witness of Jesus or not, but um, we do know confidently that Peter spoke most of this, and Mark wrote it down. And in, in, uh, in, in his story, Jesus is the authoritative Son of God. He's God's triumphant envoy, who's come to suffer and die in order to claim victory over sin and death. Now, if you know Peter, if you read about Peter, Peter's like a let's do it right now kind of guy. Like, let's take over right now. Let's cut off his ear right now. Let's go right now. Let's call down fire. Let's right now. And so as Mark tells the story of Jesus, his story is like, is like and this happened immediately. And then we're going to do this now. And Jesus saying, go now and go do Everything is like urgent now. Go do it. We can't wait because he learned from Peter. And Peter was that kind of guy. Peter was not waiting for things to unfold right now. And he starts his gospel like this, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He doesn't talk about how Jesus became the Son at the beginning. doesn't talk about his... He just 
the Son of God. Like we're getting right into the meat of it, right? We're right now, we're talking about it. We're getting right there. And so that's why he's written about the here and now. Now, Mark wrote this gospel, um, headed the church in Egypt, in Alexandria. And um, in AD 68, the uh, pagans hated that people stopped, uh, began to stop worshiping their pagan holidays, and they tied a rope around his neck, and they dragged him behind a horse until he died. That's how uh, Mark was martyred. Matthew, which is often the first book in our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew uh, is um, depicted, well, excuse me, Matthew was a Levi. You can see his picture here. Go ahead and throw that up if you would, Anastasia. Uh, you can see the four Gospels here in another. I'm just going to show you a couple different ways that they've depicted this throughout history. Is that all right? I like art, and I like colorful art. Uh, I like um, Caribbean art because it's very bright, and so I like, I like kind of the uh, orthodox imagery. I like Catholic imagery, not because I'm going to start, you know, worshiping Mary, but because I just think the art looks nice, right? Is that okay? Can we still be friends? Yeah. Some of you got a knee-jerk reaction when you see this kind of stuff that we're going to start worshiping dead people. It's not going to happen. Just a picture, right? It's, are, we, are we okay? Yeah. All right. Don't forget, you're representing many people here right now. People online, people who aren't here. I need you to respond. Are we good? Yeah. All right. So Matthew was a Levi. Now, he was a different person than Mark. Since Matthew was a Levi, he was a tax collector. He worked... He was a, a, a Jew who worked for the government in Jerusalem. And as a Jewish man writing to Jewish people, he starts his gospel a little different. In Matthew 1, verse 1, it says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he lines out genealogically how Jesus fulfills these prophecies of the birth of the Messiah, which a Jew would need to know. They knew that Jesus was going to be coming through <clears throat> this lineage. And so as he talks about Jesus is the Messiah, came through this lineage, his, um, his uh, icon is uh, a man. So when you see in these things, you see one apostle with a man, or often it looks like a little person. I don't think you say midget anymore, right? Little person uh, or baby, it's actually a man. Uh, and so, put that picture up one more time, if you would, uh, Anastasia. Uh, you see him uh, with a small person. That's the first one right here, Matthew. See that? There's a, so that's his, his sign there. And Matthew is teaching that Jesus is a messianic king, as promised uh, from, to fulfill David's kingdom, right? And he would fulfill the Old Testament prophecies and covenants. Now, where Mark begins with the baptism and story and, 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 and the temptations, Matthew goes back to Jesus' origins. He's plotting out where Jesus comes from to fulfill the Messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. Almost all of Mark is in Matthew, 60 of 66 verses, or 66 verses in Matthew. 60 of them are in, excuse me, in Mark. Uh, 60 of them are in Matthew. And, but then there's more stuff that Matthew puts in there because he has his own stories, so to speak. And so Matthew talks about uh, the kingdom of God, but instead of calling it the kingdom of God, since he's writing to Jews and they don't write God, right? Because it's offensive to many Jews, the written word God. He talks about the kingdom of heaven. Now, a lot of people like to juxtapose kingdom of God versus kingdom of heaven until you understand that Matthew didn't want to offend people, so he called it the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God. Then all of a sudden, those teachings and prophecies seem a little silly, right? So when you actually know the Bible, the made-up stuff doesn't seem as 
convincing, right? Once you actually know the Bible. It's like, I've actually read the book. That's not what it says, right? So, but uh, in this kingdom of heaven is wherever Jesus has authority is his kingdom. All right, are we good? Good. Oh, I got time. Okay, here we go. The reason we're studying these books, and here, here's what I want you guys to get out of this. Jesus wants to talk to you. God wants to have communication with us, but in order to understand what he's saying, we have to be taught who he is. It's, it's, there's convincing evidence that people hear God in ways that they were taught. When people are taught about God, they hear about God within those contexts. This is why so many people have had so many false prophecies in this season, because they've been taught about a false God. They've not been taught about the living God, Jesus Christ. When you teach people who Jesus is through the Sermon on the Mount, through his parables, through the things that he taught are important to him, all of a sudden the prophecies change a little bit. They're not as I'm here to take over type of things. When we start hearing about the Beatitudes, the people that Jesus called, called blessed, then all of a sudden the teachings aren't as convincing. And if we're not taught that something is godly or sin, often we don't have conviction about following it. This is why we are to make, watch this, disciples. We're not supposed to make kingdoms, we're supposed to make disciples of Jesus Christ, and he will actually convict them of their sin, righteousness, and judgment if we teach them who he is. So for those of you who are out there who are telling people about Jesus and you're not seeing people get saved, you are creating a landing place for conviction in their life. You are giving them a framework to understand what Holy Spirit is, what he's saying to them, and what these worldly desires are that they have been going toward. When we teach people who Jesus really is, now Holy Spirit has something to work with in their heart to show them that he has been drawing them all along. And once we study the true Jesus and who he is, we can actually stop wandering in the desert, wondering if we're following him or we're being led, and we can actually be transformed into his image, which is what we all want. Amen? This is what we want. We want to be transformed into his image because if we're being transformed into something that isn't the truth, it will not last the trials. Today, there are many people who are mourning and there are many people who are rejoicing over the outcome yesterday. And of course, I am talking about the Florida-Georgia game. See, some people thought that Georgia was going to win that game and they had a better team, but they were in deception, you see? And when you listen to deception, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. But those of us who knew the truth are rejoicing today that the truth has been exposed, that Florida is indeed the better football team, right? And, and, and so, so, yeah, amen, that's a good word right there, a Amen. And so if you hear God clearly, you're not going to be disappointed when he actually does what you know to be the truth. Let the hearer discern. The, the third gospel that we're going to talk about, and we're teaching today because the church desperately needs some teaching, is Luke. It's Luke. Now, I love me some Luke. Luke, Luke is the man. Luke, um, Luke is uh, uh, portrayed by the ox. Nope, next one. There should be a one of some figurine peoples. Maybe not. Who knows? Oh, there we are. Anybody need a Christmas ornament? There we go right there. Uh, so Luke is, uh, uh, he was a Greek doctor. Now this is important. 
He's a Greek doctor from Syria. He was not um, a disciple. He wasn't one of the apostles. And he starts his gospel this way. He says, since many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seems fitting to me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning. See, see how he's already talking like a doctor, right? Like, get to the point, bro. What, what, what are we talking about here, right? Uh, everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in an orderly sequence. He's like, I'm telling you the story. Most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus is a Greek word that means lover of God. So he's writing to a person, and they often had a Greek name and a Roman name, and his Greek name is lover of God. Uh, and so we're guessing that he is a, a wealthy convert who was paying Luke to put together these stories about Jesus so he can fully understand the Messiah that he gave his faith to, right? And so Luke is compiling these things, and he says in verse 4, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. I got to tell you, folks, this is what the church needs today, to know the exact truth about what we have been taught. And this is what Luke goes to write about. Now, a quarter of the New Testament was written by Luke. We have the, the Gospel of Luke and the Acts. Now, back in the day, you would write on at most about a 10-foot scroll. There would be a parchment paper about 10 feet long. And so whatever you can get on that parchment paper was your book, right? And so those books back then, they didn't, uh, when they wrote a biography, they almost never included someone's birth and how they grew up and, you know, how their mom didn't love them in the fourth grade and how they picked them on middle school. They just got to the point of the story because there's only so much paper. And so these Greek novels were written about this length and they got to the story. And so we have Luke and Acts, which are roughly the same length because they fit on a 10 foot parchment. Right. And so when you're reading Mark, writing Matthew, you only have this scroll open and you can only open it so much. It's not like you have the whole book you can flip back and forth through, so they kind of go in the same order. Now, Luke was writing this book to Hellenists. He wasn't writing it to Romans, wasn't writing it to Jews, he was writing it to Hellenists. And the ox in the old days was the, the strongest, best working animal you could get. He was the, the burden bearer, right? He was the worker. He was the animal of power. And so in Luke's gospel, uh, they used the ox because... In his gospel, Jesus is the perfect son of man. He's the Messiah prophesied by the prophets who came to save and to minister to people of all nations through the power of the Holy Ghost. Luke is the most charismatic of any of the gospels, has the, the, the deepest theology of Holy Spirit in it. If you read Luke and, whoa, and Acts, you see the Holy Ghost all over it because this is how they were moving when Luke investigated the story of Jesus. He talks about the kingdom of God and he talks about Jesus as the son of man. Finally, we land on John. Now, John was a son of Zebedee. He was a brother of James. Now, he was writing to the Greek Romans. The Roman Empire was large, including a large part of Greece. And so he's writing to the Romans who were Greek. So clearly, he has a different point to make to them than Matthew had to the Jews, right? He's writing to the Greek Romans, and he, uh, his animal is the eagle. And we're going to talk about these animals and how they kind of represent the Gospels as we go forward. 
This eagle has the vision to see into the sun, they would say. He has a higher vantage point, and he could see things from far off. And in, Matthew, in John's Gospel, Jesus Christ is fully divine Son of God who existed before creation. He's looking way back before creation, where Matthew talks about his lineage, and Mark talks about the beginning of his ministry. John's talking about when everything was created, before Abraham, before David, before Noah, before the, the garden. And he calls him the word become flesh. He starts his gospel this way, of course. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. There's Jesus at the very beginning, he's trying to say. There's nothing before him. And as you read John, in the middle, there's this part where it talks about the seven miracles of John. They go through these seven miracles in a row. And John is trying to show this is the miraculous Son of God on earth. This is the miracle working God on earth. He talks about um, uh, how John was one of the, the inner three. He was with Peter and James when uh, Jesus rose, uh, the daughter of, of Jairus from the dead. And, and in John, there's the seven I am's. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. There's these seven I am's. And as you read John, look for those. And <clears throat> these gospels, they're four different people writing to four different groups to paint one picture of Jesus. Depending on who you are, Jesus has something to talk about your situation based on who has revealed himself to be in your life. Now, none of the scriptures will contradict themselves, yet they all taste differently. They're all part of the same meal that God is serving up. They're all part of the same story that God is writing through four different people to four different groups. And I'm going to finish with this. I have three things. You can write them down very quickly. I want you to get out of this. And starting next week, we're going to start a gospel reading plan together. And I'm going to talk about a gospel and we're going to read them together with the information and we're going to look for the stuff we talked about we're going to give you a link to the reading plan next week so be ready for that number one read the bible to understand the story there is a story about jesus all through the bible the story of the bible is that god wants to reconcile people to himself through jesus christ that is the story of the Bible. And people got his story so wrong, he had to come himself and straighten things up. You know how mom would yell, don't make me come up there, right? That's what Jesus had to do. He's like, don't make me come down. Okay, I'll have to come down myself and straighten all this out. That's why the story of Jesus in the four gospels is the most clear presentation of who God wants to be to us. Can you say amen? amen. Too many people read what they wrote about Jesus through what Paul wrote. Love Paul, I love the things he wrote, but Paul is not one of the evangelists. He's not one of the four. We have to read what Paul means by reading what Jesus said, not the other way around. We can't say, well, Jesus must mean this because Paul said that or because John the Revelator said that. No, no, no. We take the words of Jesus on the mount. We take his, we take his, his words in the Beatitudes and we read everything about him through this lens of who he declares himself to be. And so on that note, second thing I want you to get is don't read the Bible through your experience. Interpret your experience through the Bible. 
We don't read the Bible and say, well, I've never seen anybody raised from the dead, so clearly that must be metaphorical that Jesus brings hope back to life. No, no, no. He actually rose people from the dead, right? And if we don't see it today, we need to go for it. Amen? Does this make sense? We don't read the New Testament and say, since I don't see it, it must not be here, therefore, or I have been disappointed in God, so I'll tell people, don't put too much hope in God. No, 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 no. Don't interpret the Bible through your experience. Interpret your experience through the Bible. If maybe your promises have been denied and you need to say, I need to see him clearly and I need to keep hope alive in my life. And number three, and let's, uh, last thing I want you to write down, ask God to give you understanding. Ask God to give you understanding of what the Bible means. If you have been taught to study verses and memorize verses, but don't understand the story of the books, you don't understand why they were written, who they were writing to, you don't understand where God is going with this thing, begin to get an easier interpretation of the Bible. Uh, and begin reading the stories. Understand the stories of the Scripture. Corey's looking for a microphone. Uh, understand the stories of the Scripture. Stand with me. We're going to pray for understanding. Father, we love you today. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that through understanding that the rooms are filled, you said, that the, the house is built with wisdom, but by understanding, the rooms are filled. And there's a lot of people with amazing spiritual houses that are completely empty uh, because we just do not have understanding. And Father, I pray for us in this church that we would be people whose words and lives line up with who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. Hey, hallelujah. Let's give it up for Pastor Carl. Such a good word this morning.